When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is the Royal Blue Podcast. It is the pre Burnley show. I'm your host, Ian Crow, and I'm joined by Paul Wheelock and Chris Beasley. Lads, how's it going? Paul, happy that it's Friday. Yeah, happy that it's Friday. One day coaches to another Everton win, hopefully. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. you it now, are we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Chris. It's a countdown to kick off. Plenty to come on the Echo website as well. Yeah, but, um, busy day, like I said. We've already had the article this morning where uh, Burnley have. Um, have a band of um, flags, which um, has been in place now since um, uh, in November, and uh, A4 um, sheets of paper from entering the, the stadium, a specific uh, notification for Everton ahead of that one, which is obviously curious given all those A4 sheets of paper which Evertonians have been displaying against the Premier League in, in, in um, recent weeks since, since the ban. So that's a curious one. We've actually got a nice story coming up later. Um, I spoke to uh, Lewis Dobbins, old uh, primary school teacher, who is now the the, the headmaster at um, his old school. So he's got some tales to tell about Lewis Dobbins on the back of his first Premier League goal. Amazing stuff. Well, we we are going to come on to that uh, Burnley, you know, banning of the A4 pieces of paper. But just so everyone knows before we start the agenda, it is obviously Burnley build up. Uh, plenty to go through ahead of that. Few little tidbits. We're also going to talk about Mason Holgate's future at Southampton. Me and Chris touched upon that when we did the Decore special podcast earlier in the week. But again, we will talk about the point deduction protest and what that the impact that's had on Everton's fixtures in the uh, obviously Saturday and uh, coming up in the in the coming weeks. So, Paul, uh, I'll start with you. Just generally, how are you feeling ahead of the game? You obviously, must be buzzing going into you know on the back of three wins going into this game against Burnley. Yeah, it's been absolutely brilliant, hasn't it? You know, the the last week I can't. I know Gav did the stat in me how long it's been since we've won three games on a run but I can't remember having a week like this for, yeah. for a number of years really and uh, the way we did it obviously as well you know two different kind of victories really over Newcastle and, and Chelsea I thought we thoroughly deserved to win the Newcastle game missed a lot of chances where on the last Sunday against Chelsea it was, it was a bit harder wasn't it you know you could tell we were a bit tired after all the, the effort that they put in a few days earlier but they, they had to show real grit to get the three points but it was yeah, it's it's fantastic. I think you know, coming out of the game, if you could hear other people talking about it, I know we certainly were that. It's like probably the 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 like the proudest of being to be an Evertonian for a good while. Not that I'm never proud to be an Evertonian, but you just feel a real affinity with this team at the moment, don't you? You know, uh, it's it. I know there's a lot of stuff going on off the field, and it's always the case with this club at the moment. And there's still, you know, this this thing we we have to be worried about, but it's it's just great and it's going so well. On the pitch, and it's just great to to be going to Goodison now, and uh, you know, a bit jealous of like the, the three thousand Evertonians will be at Turf Moor on yeah. Saturday night because I'm sure they'll make a great atmosphere and hopefully come back with uh, another win. Well, I have been to Burnley Stadium, and there's a bit of a pain to get to. Yeah, a bit of a pain to get out of as well. But I'm sure if we uh, if we get a win, that won't definitely matter to the away fans. Chris, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Oh, when was the last time Everton won four games in a row? Oh, I did. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, I actually don't know. Thankfully, I've been doing some research. Yeah, this, but, uh, yeah, last time we did it in front of fans. I mean, they did it um, in the COVID season. Okay, the start of that one. I don't, I'm not sure how many they racked up then. They had that great start. Obviously, there was no fan stadium. But the last time they won four Premier League games in a row in front of fans 
was right at the start of Ronald Koeman's um, for his, his only full season in charge, which is going back to 2016. So talking over seven years since he'd wow. done that. Yeah, seems so long ago. I can't even remember it. But what no. were the day? Yeah, it was but, West Brom was in there? Was it uh, Middlesbrough? I can't remember the other ones off the top of my head. Um, yeah, four, four, four Premier League wins in a row in the, the, yeah, in the comments section. Yeah, because someone else remembered those. I think West Brom and Middlesbrough were in there. Yeah, I can't remember the other two off the top of my head. But yeah, um, start the 2016-17 season, so over seven years ago. Okay, well, obviously we'll come on to predictions for the for the game, um, Chris. But mm. you know, what what are you just feeling going into the game? We've we obviously you know positive going into this. The the table at this moment in time reflects that Burnley are one of our closest rivals, but really they're not. Are they? We we should really be, be winning this fixture. Yeah, like we said, um, if if based on on the field performances, Everton will be in the, the top half of the table now, four points clear of Chelsea, who they defeated two 0 last time out. I think. The nice thing about this, it doesn't mean you, know, you um, make it any easier or, or whatever, it is because they've been doing so, so well, as much, of course we'd expect Everton hopefully to, to extend that winning run. They, they beat Burnley very convincingly in the Carabao Cup, but there's obviously a very much changed Burnley side. Um, is it, they've actually made this not a must win for Everton. Now, I think um could really do without losing it, without Constantinia, because it was actually, albeit under very different circumstances, the last time Everton came to, to turf more, of course, when uh, they, they could have really pulled clear to Burnley in the relegation fight two seasons ago, and in the end, by losing that really sort of Constantina it in. What you've got now is because of those two victories at home last week, Newcastle United and Chelsea, on the back of the win at Forest, there is that, okay, it's only one place from Everton above the relegation zone. It's a bit of a cushion points wise now. So I, I, I think that's. It's a nice position to be in that, that uh, of course, we'd love to see the run continue four in a row. It'd be terrific, and especially ahead of that Carabao Cup quarterfinal with, with um, Fulham on the horizon. But it, it, it's not a, a must win. I think I, say, I think it's a, a must not lose. It, it, even, even then, I mean, you still, we don't want to talk about that. But if they were to lose, it, it, it'd be, it would be terrible. But it wouldn't be, you know, dire straits. So, um, because of these points they've picked up in, re in recent times, They've actually made the, the situation a lot more comfortable, certainly points-wise, rather than position. There's only one pl place, but yeah, it's a nice place to be going into a game of this magnitude. Just a little personal story that you touched upon it. The last time we played Burnley <laughs> away was one of the, the lowest, well, my lowest time yeah. supporting Everton. We were 2-0 up, or was it 2-1 up? 2-1 up, and then yeah. we obviously ended up conceding more and ended up getting beat 3-2. Mm. Well, can you remember that game, Paul? Was that, you know, obviously massive difference then from here compared to now, but... I'm with you, mate. Yeah, it was, it was live, wasn't it? Yeah. Sky. I, I watched it in the Sefton. Midweek. <laughs> I, I was at home on my own. I think wife and kids had gone to bed. Uh, the eldest was probably a bit too young then to stay up and watch Everton. Uh, and I, it was the night I thought we were going down, mate. I've got to be yeah. honest. Uh, there were a couple of other moments where they're in that season. And maybe even last season, I remember thinking, we lost one nil at home to Wolves that year. Then it was a pretty flat game. And yeah. I think we're in trouble there. But the Burnley one was the one that I thought we're gone this time because it felt like even though we played quite well that night going forward, the Richarlison certainly did absolutely everything he could to win that game yeah. for us. Didn't he? That nice one was absolutely unbelievable. That that, that performance on him, yeah, it, 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 it was bad times. And then and I know Joe's done a piece, hasn't he, on on the site and in the paper today where after that game, Deitch was like. It seems like they forgot how to win. I don't think he meant to put the boot in, but it, it did feel like that at that point. So, yeah, I'm with you, mate. It was a, it was a pretty low moment, that. So, Chris, we've already played Burnley this season. It was a 3-0 win yeah. at Goodison Park in the League Cup. What what did you make of Burnley that night? I mean, it was a sort of what we, we saw for a lot of the season. I mean, I know they picked up 
a lot recently. Obviously, the 5 0 win over Sheffield United, that was a sort of the pivotal moment at the bottom of the table because I think it hastened the demise of their manager, obviously, um, after that. But um, yeah, there's what a lot of people have been saying. Um, and I think quite sort of um, unfairly to Sean Dyche, Vincent Company got so much praise for the way Burnley were last season. Obviously, they romped to the Championship, romped, came straight back up after getting relegated. And everyone's like, oh, he's revolutionised Burnley. Now they're playing this Manchester City style of football. And almost sort of discounting the, the decade that Sean Dyche had there. It's, oh, it's, you know, dinosaur Dyche, old school, route one, four, four, two. We're beyond all that. You know, we're playing a more progressive style now. It's like, well, Sean Dyche is a very experienced manager at this level, very effective. I'd say I must rather have Dyche and company in charge. And we're seeing that this season. I mean, Company didn't do particularly well. I don't think at, um, in his early coaching forays in Belgium. I think um, you know he's had a second chance at Burnley. Great getting them up, and he's seen sort of like the reality check in the in the Premier League. They play nice football, patient from the back, and then there's a lack of cutting edge there. And kind of going back to what Dyke had said about Everton they did before. You know, you've got to know how to win these games, and I saw that when they came to Goodison Park. I mean, thankfully for Everton's point of view, Everton went strong. I'm glad to see that. You know, just, you know, if given that Everton unfortunately aren't in a position to win league titles anymore, if they're not going to go for cups, what's a raison d'etre? Why do Everton exist if they're not going to try and win silverware in some form? Club of their stature. So went strong, won the game. Burnley, they had their priorities were at the bottom of the Premier League. They made changes on mass and, and were well beaten that night. I mean, Tarkovsky scored against his old club, didn't he? Uh, Dwight McNeil was getting dogs abused for some reason from... From the the, the Claret's tra- travelling fans, and yeah, it was it was a comfortable, it was a good night for Everton. Hopefully, can give them some sort of psychological edge for tomorrow evening. I mean, Paul Vincent Company has kind of suggested this week in his press conference that you know foot, Dice's footprints are still all over Burnley. So obviously, he has been successful in his own right. He's got Burnley promoted to the Premier League, but is that kind of what Paul suggested there? You know, credit probably should go to Dice because he's been there for so long. The way he's had that club set up. They've almost been just being able to bounce back straight away. And I know, no, I don't want to discount companies, but he's been able to add his own flair and his own ideas. But for a club who have been a, a mainstay in the Premier League for a good couple of years, to go down and then to, to bounce back up, should Dice get a little bit of credit for that as well? Absolutely. Well, I, I was covering Blackburn Rovers uh, in 2013 to 2016. So I, was, I, was, I lived still around there, but I was based in Blackburn every day. So I was in East Lancashire. And that, my first season covering Blackburn, Burnley went up uh, and like it was completely against the odds. You know, like you think company did a good job last year. I think uh, Burnley had to sell Charlie Austin at the start of the season. And then like they lost the main strike and luckily it brought in Ings and uh, Vokes. I think they were back then, weren't they? Like it, it can't, I can't describe back then didn't really like Dice too much <laughs> because, like obviously I was very invested Revelation. in Blackburn and like the, the Blackburn just could not beat them after years and years of dominance fairly so uh, I can't describe how, how big a job he did there at Burnley's training ground like the press conferences used to be in a little terraced house kind of thing and it was just fields lovely fields in East Lancashire and if you've gone I've been back there since after leaving there uh, the, the Lancashire Telegraph and like it's a proper modern training ground right. and that does not happen if uh, if he doesn't get them up initially you know the first time he got them up was just incredible he did go back down and then he got them back up and then he stabilised them and yeah you're both absolutely right I think and I'm, I'm, I'm be, be very very surprised if he doesn't get a good reception from the, the Burnley fans on Saturday and as good as company did last year and 
whenever I seen him on the tally, they played some great football, played some good football at Goodison, as you said there, Chris, mm-hmm. without having an end product. Uh, like Deitch, everything. The reason why this club, Burnley, are where they are now is because of Sean Knight. I've got no doubt about that because I've seen it firsthand what it was like before before they were in the Premier League. I mean, company, obviously, you know, world-class player, world-class defender, trying his hand at management. What have, what have you made so far? You know, it's just the one he wasn't too successful in Belgium, but he has yeah. kind of been able to find success here at Burnley. What would you put that down to? I mean, we've obviously said, give all the credit to Dyche. Yeah. <laughs> no, he went totally the other way, didn't he, to be fair? I mean, he, 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 on the one hand, like you say, it's probably the, the off-the-field um, foundation has been brought in by Dyche, as, as Paul's just outlined there. But from a footballing point of view, you know, it, it was a big thing. I mean... If Everton had gone down that season, of course it was Everton. It ended up being Burnley Leeds, in it right at the end. But um, it was going back to that game we were talking about there. I mean, I was at Turf Moor that night. Uh, it, was, it was Joe Thomas's first um, game actually. What a baptism of fire for him! <laughs> but yeah, they going from what could have been a one point, uh, end up being one point. Everton could have been seven points clear. But so if Everton had gone down that season, remember that's the that's the season Everton got done for for the FFP. It was that one. So if if anyone's got a, a grievance over that, it's, it's Burnley, all the other clubs. I mean, they don't have a case as far as I'm concerned. But um, yeah, it was only Burnley who could sort of have a grievance about Everton getting the points deduction this year as opposed to 21-22 because it would have saved them if that happened that year. Um, I can't imagine Everton would have got out of the championship with in, in such a sort of straightforward manner that, uh, that Burnley did. It would have... I, it doesn't bear thinking about both on and off the pitch what, what Everton would have been like in, in the championship last last season. It would have been absolutely horrible, I'm, I'm sure. Not just because it's been so long since it was down at that level, yeah. but just, you know, the the, 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 the off-the-field shenanigans and all the sort of... Um, the, sort of the psychological effect. Also, from I think the Dyche would have actually been the best man to do that for Everton, you know, if they had gone down still. But it just would have been such a tough task to sort of get them up w- without any sort of fuss the way the company did. So he's done that, Vincent Company. You know, he got them up in the minimum of fuss, playing great attacking football. Like I said, end product, lack of it this season certainly wasn't the, the case last year in the championship. Scored a lot of goals there. Uh, effective um, football so he, he's done well but I think it's been a reality check for him this year in the Premier League and sort of realising that perhaps a bit more pragmatism is needed Could you imagine facing facing the, the championship with a 10 point deduction as well that would be even worse wow. <laughs> yeah. getting into sort of t- territory that happened to Sunderland there didn't they went down two years on the trot after they had David Moyes and ended up in League One doesn't bear thinking about no. So Paul company for me you know, just from the outside looking in, you know, I haven't watched too much of Burnley, but he looks like he's a manager who kind of wants to play football the, the right way, if you want to call it that, you know, pass it, playing out from the back. Um, but to be honest, that like I thought they were dreadful against Everton in the League Cup. I, I, I think maybe that's down to the quality of their players, but he he does seem to be a manager that is not going to like change from plan from to plan B. He's just going to stick with that, and that that's how we play. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I thought I thought that was it. I thought like for twenty minutes they played some nice stuff, didn't they? But not ever struggling at all. Yeah. And it's almost like we won three 0 without having really having to get out of second gear, which was like, and I don't mean this any disrespect to our players, but if we if we can do that to a Premier League teams, that doesn't say much about them, does it? Really? Uh, yeah, I suppose like he, he's if he it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he's definitely got his style of play, whether you like it or not, and it looks like this is the style of play that he wants to take throughout his managerial career and that's that's I'd say that's admirable like there's not there's absolutely there's, there's different ways to win football games major influence with Guardiola obviously yeah, well, yeah like 
why wouldn't you take that on board? You know, but you do wonder he's going to have to have a supportive board and chairman there and owner, isn't he? Really, because you know it's all important that they they stay up in the Premier League. I suppose like they'll have the safety net parachute payments when you need to try and stay in the Premier League, and it does seem he, he does have that support, but. If they were to lose on Saturday, it is looking. I know, as you rightly said, Chris, it's not rush win for Everton now. But if they if they were to lose, they're looking quite far away, aren't they, from safety? Because we'd move. It's eight points clear, I think, it's to be at yeah. Burnley. So, uh, no, I, I, I admire company. He was absolutely tremendous, tremendous player, wasn't he? You yeah. know, we we'll certainly always re- always remember that goal against Leicester, yeah. <laughs> the Etihad Evertonians. Uh, but I like when I was like you know praising Dykes before. I think, as you said, Chris, he's built up the modern Burnley not in any way like disrespecting what company did last year because he still had to win the championship but he did it with like 100 points plus didn't he so he's he's clearly a good manager but yeah whether those principles and the way he's got playing will keep Burnley up this year I'm, I'm not sure I've got to remember Frank Lampard was a world class player as well wasn't he and not, he was going to take Everton down yeah Steven Gerrard yeah world class player look where at Villa are now under Unai Emery after he's gone he's out in the desert no yeah exactly I think that's a it seems to be a bit of a, a thing now in modern in modern football, isn't it? You know, just because you're a, yeah. a world class player, world class footballer doesn't necessarily mean that you can transfer that over to management. Um, injury latest then, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more like football matters now for the next topic. Yeah. Coleman and Young are out, so surely this means that Nathan Patterson gets a start and gets a chance. <laughs> you would think <laughs> if ever Nathan Patterson's got a chance to start, he's got, if he doesn't start now, well, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people. Thought he should be in there anyway, but um, obviously Seamus Coleman came back did really well against Newcastle. Then uh, obviously picked up a knock and what was his first senior out for over six months. So that's a, that's a blow. Hopefully it's only you know a short term thing with Seamus because you know, he's on the cusp of actually breaking the Everton Premier League appearance record, isn't he? Overtaking Tim Howard. Um, but yeah, Nathan Patterson, good one hopefully for him. I mean he's done really well, hasn't he? Coming off the bench, um, he came on nil nil in both those games, Newcastle and Chelsea, and then. You know, he played um, as Everton won both those games after coming from goalless both times he came on. And of course, I know you've got to give Beto a lot of um, credit for the finish. He's, he's still officially got the assist for that one, yeah. isn't he? So, I mean, a lot of people want to see that with Nathan Patterson. We know what you get with Nathan <coughs> Patterson. He's good going forward. He needs to improve defensively. But I mean, personally, I think, no, you've got uh, Ashley Young in there. You know, okay, Dyche wants to go with the older head, somebody he respects and somebody he trusts. But, you know, Young's been had a tough time of late, hasn't he? And we, we all know about the, the troubles he's had, particularly against sort of speedy wingers and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it's a big chance for, for Nathan Patterson. I'd not like to see him in there. I'm sure, sure he's got to, got to start now. And, um, like you say, there's, there's other players missing as well. I think Bramthwaite and Idrissa Gay both suspended. That's a big miss, of course. Um, so it's like who comes in at centre-back? Because, I mean... My, you'd, have thought, you'd have thought Michael Keane was the obvious choice, but then um, could be carrying an injury. Yet, and it seems he wasn't in the match day squad last time out, so it could be Ben Godfrey coming, coming in from, from the court. So it'd be particularly, particularly a big game for him. I'm trying to remember right. Was it Godfrey's mistake or the, at the end of that Burnley game that should yeah. let them in for Maxwell Corney? Yeah. So he'll be determined to, to put that one right if, if he gets a nod, which could, could well be the case if Keane's unavailable. Well, obviously the biggest probably talking point is the, the Bantweight <laughs> replacement yeah. because he's just been an absolute, you know, he's been so good for us this season. You know, he's without a doubt our standout player. Definitely a breakthrough season in his Everton career. Um, I think 
Dice did mention that Keane has been injured, but he was he was kind of back to, to fitness. So he also kind of suggested that there could be a formation change. So what what does he do here, or what you know, in your opinion, for the uh, Yeah, I wonder if he was doing that was a bit of a red hat in. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't change the system when it's been working so well. Uh, yeah, I think like <laughs> one of our writers, Steve, one of our writers here did like the the breakout piece on the injuries yesterday, and he was saying. Oh, it might have been Jake, sorry, Jake Ravens yeah. did it. And uh, he was saying Godfrey's only made one Premier League appearance this season. That came when Tarkovsky went off with like a bit of a knock, then he against Sheffield United right, away like, in yeah. injury time. Yeah. And Keane's only made four. And his last start was against Fulham, and he obviously had a, a really bad day that, that that afternoon, didn't he? And then Bramfoy came into the team. So it's 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 as you rightly said, it's it's not like just because we have to change a winning team, it's because Bramfoy's is so good. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Michael Keane is and Ben Godfrey. I don't think I'm being harsh to say I've not enjoyed perfect Everton careers and when they were last played they weren't in good form. But Bramford's just been an absolute revelation and I think like he's brought Tarkovsky on or you know, like and that's saying something. Just the partnership as well yeah, sometimes as well, isn't it? Like the partnerships together. It's like it, it might not even be like the best defender individually, but if you can conjure up a partnership with like someone who you just know telepathically what's gonna happen, sometimes that's that's even better, isn't it? I probably don't know from off the top of my head, but probably maybe the best partnerships in like Jagielka and Lescott, Jagielka and Distan. Yeah. I, I can't, yeah. I can't remember two better ones than that in, in the last you know six seven years kind of thing. Uh, yeah, like absolutely spot on. Day I thought Tarkovsky the other night was absolutely other afternoon against Chelsea was absolutely immense, yeah. like absolutely brilliant. I think it's been massive for Tarkovsky because to be honest, there was a couple of times last season that he made a couple of really bad mistakes and. Just been eliminated from his game now completely, and I don't want to put it all down to Brantway because he's obviously done well. But like I say, the partnership is just absolutely massive. Yeah, and, and luckily it's only one game, isn't it? Like you know, I suppose <laughs> fingers it, crossed. It was yes, fingers crossed. It was it was always going to come, wasn't it? Centre back on four booking. So you know, maybe it was the, this is the better game to do yeah. given we've got the few wins. Yeah. To go back to your, your question, and probably Michael Keane for me. Like, do I do faith <laughs> Michael Keane? I think he's in a lot of games. He's okay. He's 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 pretty okay. And he's obviously had some unbelievable moments down the other end that, that have helped keep Everton in the Premier League. So we should never forget that. It's just that when he makes a mistake, it seems to be punished by the other side. And uh, I think you don't like having scapegoats. But he had to come out of the team after Villa, didn't he? Because he, he he was at fault playing for, for two of the goals. But you know, Dykes knows him. He knows Sarkovsky. He's going back to his old club as well, isn't he, Keane? So. Hopefully he's fit and well, and you know we can we can put in performance. And as long as he keeps his arms by his side, yeah, well, yeah, behind the balls, please, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris Anana then just slips back in for for guy. You'd think so, wouldn't you? I thought I thought he was really good. Um, second half against um, Chelsea gave out in a different dimension. Of course, um, Drusser Gay picked up that yellow card first first half, so he knew he was going to miss this game anyway. But then Dyke just made the decision to take him off half time. It was. Um, it's kind of like the Crystal Palace game in reverse, where um, Chris Gay had come on for um, for Anana at Selhurst Park, and uh, to be fair to to Anana, he'd not played since before the international break, and uh, he sort of gave it in that different dimension, and he um, like a playmaker from deep in the way that you know we all know what uh, Gay can do in fighting fires and the way he can break up play. 
But um, I don't know. I was getting a bit frustrated first half against Chelsea. I mean, ever since um, Idris Gay scored that amazing late winner at um, Crystal Palace, he's, he's almost like he's fancying himself on his left foot. And then, I mean, I don't even fancy him on his right foot, to be honest. So, he had that um, chance at Holmes United as well, which, you know, had gone in, yeah. they've changed the game. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, for all his, his, his skill set, and he's very good at what he is good at. Just, I, I, we, we love that moment in the Sellers part, but unfortunately, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, a natural finisher. And it's, it's frustrating. Whereas, sort of, Anana was orchestrating things from, from deep and coming out from those deep positions. So, hopefully, a big performance from him. He's, he's the sort of player you think can, you want him to go into these games and use his, his both his physicality, you know, and his size, but also that footballing brain that he, he's got and really sort of dominate games. You want to see more of that because you know he's got it in his locker. You just want to see that coming out in, in, in the years ahead and um, it'd be a great um, game for him to, to sort of start with that now at Burnley and show what he's capable of doing. Paul, more importantly for me, out of anything else, is that Carver-Lewin is fit and ready to play. And obviously, you know, it looks like he's definitely going to start. He's not been scoring a lot of goals the past couple of weeks, but for me, he's just so integral to that team. So how important is he just to the how we play? Oh, he's massive, isn't he? Like, you know, delighting for Beto getting his first goal against Newcastle. But I think I said to him on the last podcast I was on there with, you know, with ourselves, like it was, there's just a massive difference, isn't it, between the two plays in terms of like quality. And to, to be fair, Calvin Levin, he's been playing in the Premier League for five, six years now. His first experience for Beto, so we, we should expect that really. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and you can see it, can't you? The appreciation he gets when he he comes off the pitch, you know, because he usually does come off at ten. I, mean, I think it was a bit earlier, wasn't it, against Chelsea, just to protect him a little bit. Uh, you know, with the kind of ten twenty minutes to go, he gets a standing ovation from the crowd, even though he hasn't been scoring lately, because he just gives us so much more than goals. And hopefully, he's saving one for Saturday, because against Newcastle, I've watched the highlights a few times back yeah. since, and he he definitely should have scored that one, shouldn't he? The, the volley, but he probably. Could have felt he could have walked away with a hat trick that night, but yeah, he's always been like that. Calvert Lewin, I think you know we we appreciate his goals massively. We need his goals, but the great thing at the moment they're getting spread around the team. But yeah. what he gives us as a focal point is is massive, and I think he said it then yesterday at the press conference nights that Dom's okay, so it was really heartening to hear. Yeah, he agrees. We're a different team when he's not there. And Chris, I'll come to you for this one. Then moving away from football and matters a little bit, but Everton have more on travelling fans that yeah. um, going to Turf Moor that they could have flags and the A4 cards confiscated by Burnley security and officials. Do you want to tell everyone? Yeah, it was, I mean, we're smiling, but it just seems it seems odd, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, the fl- the flag thing came in in November, and um, seems like. Is it uh, so? Did that come in specifically for Burnley in November? Yeah. For Burnley and their grounds, yeah. Their oh, it's not just happened this week, then. no, no. But I mean, if you're a cynic, maybe think oh, everything on the horizon. I don't know if we get all that sort of com- sort of um, conspiracy theory, but yeah, it seems more like to me, you know, that this is just based on my own sort of observations of the situation. Burnley was just saying you can only buy flags from the official Claret store, so that was for their own fans. So people weren't allowed to bring their own flat fans, and they had to buy official club flags so that seems to be a bit of a money-making exercise on, on the profiteering yeah so they're doing that it, it, it just seem odd are you not letting flags into the stadium i mean if, i don't know if it's just flags on poles or you know is you drape a flag don't you but so that's that's burnley's flag policy which has been in place since november but 
It was on Everton's um, away guide. You can see, obviously, our article on the website. But on Everton's official website, they say that they've been specifically told. Am I right? Yeah, I'm saying, Paul, word, isn't it? That was they've been specifically told to let their supporters know that A4 sheets of paper. So people have quite right said, "You all right with a bigger one? Can you do an A3 or <laughs> A2, A1? How big do you go?" Um, but yeah, it, it just—it's just interesting, isn't it? That on mass, ever since Everton have had the points deduction, like we said. Burnley are actually the club who's most sort of impacted by that. Keep going back to 21, 22. And all those um, pink protest cards by the 1878s has been given out basically almost to a man and a woman child. Uh, that, uh, for the Manchester United game, all the home end across the stadium displayed them. Then we went to Forest. Joe and I were at Forest at the city ground. The away end up came the pink A4s again. And then I've seen the Newcastle game did the green ones, didn't they, in, in the park? And um, so I don't know how how sort of stringent Burnley are going to be on this. Are they, are they going to look under your top? See if you've got a an A4 sheet hidden there. I mean, it it, it seems strange, isn't it? But it's a very specific directive that A4 sheets are banned. But I mean, if Evertonians want to get whatever they want to get in terms of pieces of paper into turf, more. I'm sure they'll still get the message across. How many folds can you get out of an A4? <laughs> She's is there an answer to this? Like, oh, uh, I think scientifically yeah, you can all do it about seven times. Yeah. I think something like definitely that. Definitely tried it as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> definitely small enough to get it in. Not so we try it, we'll try it now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm encouraging anyone to take it in. And break it have rules shoes, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you will see a couple of A4 <laughs> I think you will, yeah. Slip the net. I think there's more chance you'll see more now after that's come out, really. Well, you know. It'd be the same. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, it's like uh, Chris said, it depends how strict security going to be in the grounds. I mean, I don't know it's going to be thousands of Everton fans. Are they going to be able to confiscate, you know, how many they're going to be? But we'll see. It's, <laughs> it's you know, it's obviously it's going to be on the telly. So anyone who's uh, watching will be able to see. Um, Chris, so yesterday at Everton supporters, uh, the organisation Twitter account 1878 mm. organised a bit of a protest outside the Premier League's base. Um, and, you know, it was a big TV screen outside the base and they yeah. kind of replaced the picture of the lion with a rat. Yeah. Um, we did an article on it yesterday. Yeah. You know, obviously this protest's not going away, is it? No, that's the thing, isn't it? They, they keep, they're keeping up the, they're keeping up the heat, aren't they? They're, they're not just, maybe people think, oh, hey, the initial sort of protest. And I suppose it's important because if Everton do well on the pitch, which they have been doing in, in recent weeks, and it sort of becomes like, not an issue in terms of are Everton going to stay up or go down because of the points deduction. Premier League could sort of think oh, it's easy to go away now, you know. Um, we've deducted them the 10 points. Isn't it kind of convenient that Everton have pulled away anyway and that if they're all right, well, was no, you know, Everton could be in the top half of the table now. They could be going for um, even a European place, as, as, as fanciful as that seems after what Very happened. Good. Yeah, what happened last <laughs> season. Well, as it stands, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, you know, coming on the back of you know the worst, the club's um, lowest equivalent point total in their entire history last season. You know, to be in that position, it's, it's amazing. So it would be sort of easy and convenient for the Premier League for this to go away. But Evertonians aren't of that mindset. Um, it it's it's just seems what whatever you think of the situation, and in the end, Everton held the hand off. You know, they they were guilty of um, making that breach. I mean. Interesting after they were playing Chelsea last time out. It's a club who spent over 1.1 billion since Todd Bowley came in last year. Yet there, you know, nothing's happened with them. Manchester City, 115 charges, whatever it is, over eight or nine years. Nothing's happened with them. So, yeah, the Evertonians aren't going to just like forget about this, even if the team are, are improving. It's, it's, it's a huge thing. And what it, I said, whatever you think about it, um, 
Everton were guilty, but for it to be the, the largest sporting sanction in 135 years of English top five football, you know, bigger than um, Portsmouth going into administration, he's saying this one um, tech, this one um, breach on a profit and sustainability charge, which is off an arbitrary ruling anyway, is is worthy of a bigger punishment than that. Evertonians aren't going to let go. And regardless of what anyone else outside the club thinks, Paul, you know, the footballer community, you know, the media, you know, this has literally unified everyone yeah. at Everton Football Club. And that is literally, you can see the benefits of that since, you know, the breaking news on, on that Friday afternoon before the the international break. Yeah, because we're not silly, are we? We're not stupid. We've, we've definitely been hard done by here. You know, as Chris said, it's unprecedented. It is unprecedented. And that anger's still not gone away. Like, you know, it... It's amazing what the team have done to, to claw back nine points of the ten that were deducted away in the space of you know two weeks, wasn't it? Two or three weeks. Yeah. Incredible. But, you know, this isn't this, you know, there's still things to be not concerned about. But, you know, say the worst happens and Burnley win on Saturday, the gap's quite close again, isn't it? You know, I know Joe's wrote about this where they've they've changed the goalposts again this year, the Premier League. So last season's accounts have got to be in by the end of this current year, haven't they? And if there's any kind of breaches then, they might put the points deduction and the and this season, that's right, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, kind of all clubs so can have not, that, yeah. Not preempting more points deduction against us. But it's kind of like, okay, you you you've got to stick to the rules, but now everything's happening right now. And who's in the firing line? Everton and we do, as Chris rightly says, we the way we've been run as a club is clearly not being good enough because it's got us into the position we're in now financially. Even if it is trying to, you know, lift the dream by signing too many players or build a magnificent new stadium, you know. But those kind of like reasons for it weren't accepted by the commission. Fair enough, but it's the the severity of the points deduction that could still cause Everton massive harm, you know. And I I, I certainly haven't forgot that as a fan. No. Uh, and I'm pretty sure you, you guys have certainly thousands and thousands of people haven't and that's why they're still doing these protests you know so yeah I, I still, I've, I've always thought if they would have said four, five, six point deduction you probably would have sucked your slap on the wrist wouldn't you but because it was 10 and because who knows what could come in the future like fair play to the, to the fans for keeping up the campaign really because the end is still a lot but you're right it, it has unified the fan base hasn't it you know the players the manager everyone seems to be together and that's that's the first time I think we can say that in years to be honest Okay um, a few other tidbits then before we come on to predictions and Paul I'll stick with you on this because me and Chris talked about it a little bit in, in the week in our Decore special podcast which is up on our YouTube channel and Facebook page so just on Holgate really um, mm. Southampton manager Russell Martin has kind of come out and we've done an article on it this uh, past couple of days and he's kind of conceded that Holgate is probably going to return to Everton and it's you know, it's not looking good for Mason Hoggate's career as a whole at, at this moment in time, is it? No, no, you can't. You can't imagine if he come back to to Everton in January, how he's going to play much really, because hopefully Bramford and Tarkovsky, as we were saying, is, stays the, the, the first choice partnership, and then you've got Keane and maybe Godfrey. You know, to be honest, uh, I think the right was on the wall when he got sent off, wasn't he last season at Palace? Was it? I can tell you, right back. Like, yeah, yeah cause that felt like an opportunity for him and. He didn't take it that day. He had a bad time, got sent off. And I think he's just got to that point of his Everton career where he's got to move on now, hasn't he? To be honest, uh, there was at one point where you felt like you could be the real prospect, you know, when he was on the Ancelotti. Manchester City were linked with him, weren't they? Promising, wasn't he? Really promising, but it's just not worked out. And I know Southampton having a good season in the Championship and pushing, but 
he'd be a bit concerned, but yeah, I'm concerned that he's not playing for them. So yeah, I imagine he might have to move on again in January if we if we can move on. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to you know like bash Holgate or anything, Chris. Well, obviously, yeah. you know, he was a promising youngster at Everton. You said they was just linked with a, a host of clubs up at the top end of, of the table, but you know, struggling. I haven't seen him play, but obviously he's struggling a little bit at Southampton. Is it? Yeah. You know, he's obviously not a bad player, but has he got a bad attitude? Is he just sulking a little bit, or is it just? Literally, one. Of, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, anything could be happening, so we we don't know. But you know, it's obviously disappointing for him that he hasn't been able to get his career on track at Southampton. Yeah, I spoke to Mason Holgate a few times, and if you speak to him one on one, very engaging, very honest individual. But I wonder sometimes that honesty. Um, I think um, when he's not happy, he, he sort of he can't keep that in and sort of lets that out. So I don't know whether that's played any sort of part in it. But in yeah. terms of as a footballer. He's kind of caught between, where is he? Is he because he, I know when and he was younger, when he went on loan to West Brom, where he played right back, almost like a wing back. I think you know, is he a right back? Is he a is he a centre back? He's he's not massive for a modern centre back in terms of, of his stature. He's probably sort of caught between the two, really. So I'm sure he went to Southampton thinking, oh, this would be like really relaunch my career now and uh, be a big part and. Playing at the top of the championship, it's just not worked. It's just not wor- worked out for him. I mean, I don't, I don't know whether. Uh, I certainly think whatever happens, whether he stays at Southampton or whether he's recalled by Everton, I don't think there's any sort of huge for him in the Everton first team under under Sean Dyche. Does he need to kind of reinvent himself, Paul? Because we know he's played kind of other than probably not left back, but he's played across the back for you know centre back and right back. He's also played in midfield, and there's yeah. times where he's had a couple of good games in midfield. Sit a couple of years ago, obviously not in the in the recent couple of years. But does he kind of just sit sit down, reinvent himself if he wants to carry on at top level football? I think now, it, obviously, Southampton are one of the better championship teams. But I think he's just, you know, he, he, I say he's, he's played well for Everton in the past. I imagine, you know, he's a, a wealthy young man, as most Premier League footballers are who've been playing in this era. So, you know, absolutely. Congratulations for him for getting this far in his career. You know, to play for Everton as many games as he's done shows that he's he, he is a very good footballer. But yeah, it might be time to reassess, mate. And it maybe maybe has to drop stay in the championship. I don't think he's any lower than a championship player. Uh, but I think maybe he has to reassess and then maybe go to a club that he'll get regular game time if that if that's what he wants. You know, like if he wants to come back to Everton and be a good squad, a good member of the squad, and get game time here and there. By all means, because he's on the contract. But yeah, in terms of like, I just can't see it Everton now. I think Dyke has looked has had enough time to look at him, hasn't he? And the fact they didn't play much last season, then put him out on loan this year probably suggests that he does need to move on uh, permanently. Okay, we are going to come on to predictions, but just briefly, Chris, I'll come yeah. to you first on this. So a little bit of seven 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 news. This button director and. Just if I get this wrong, tell me, is it Johannes Spores? Johannes Spores. Johannes Spores. So he's done an interview with the Telegraph. Yeah. And a quote from that interview. So, quote, Everton will be the missing link in the group <laughs> and can be the club that gets the players when Liège or Berlin, for example, make them ready. So, yeah, he's kind of saying Everton will be the missing link in the franchise of clubs. Yeah. What, what do you make of that comment? Yeah, this is an in- interesting one, isn't it? Because on the one hand, triple seven. Have always said that they treat all their clubs um, sort of equally in terms of um, we had um, the head of football analytics, uh, analytics. <laughs> easy for me to say. Yeah. Um, he did. He just yeah. for reference. He yeah. did stop short of saying 
these clubs are going to be a feeder club yeah, together yeah, as well, yeah, just, to, just yeah, for context. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of all the sort of resources that they go into them, um, um, it's, it's all the same. But yeah, there is a natural sort of pecking order, a football food chain. And like you said, he said that it's not going. It's not like they're going to be um, the other clubs are going to be a, a feeder club for Everton. But he did say those. That if he, I think he quoted that he, the likes of Standard Liège and Berlin, if they had a player ready, then they would actually prefer them to stay within the group than be transferred out the group and to, to go to to Everton. And I think that's been what one of the things. There's a lot of people across football, not just Evertonians, a lot of questions about Triple Seven and their successes, not just where the money's coming from, just so many questions about what they could be like. But I think one of the things that people hope would be a positive on, under them would be um, the fact that um, because of where Everton are as a Premier League club, that Everton sort of being the number one club, I know they're obviously involved in Sevilla as well, but that's only a minority stake. But but the clubs where they have a majority stake, that Everton would be number one, would be top of that food chain, and hopefully the talent would would move up to to Everton. Um, if, if any like sort of um, bright prospects um, within their group, that's good. What I was also sort of heartened from that that, that interview, we've got a version of that going up ourselves shortly. Uh, is that um, his, his comment on, on Sean Dyche, both Dyche and Kevin Fellwell, um, it seems inevitable whenever the, these new sort of owners come in, they like to have their own people in and they often get a managerial change. Everton are on to real winnership with Sean Dyche. Um, and uh, I think that this triple seven people like Johannes Spores can see that. And uh, he was spoke very glowingly about the work that Sean Dyche is doing. Paul, this has got to be a good omen. Good omen? Good omen. Spores was in attendance both the Chelsea and the Newcastle wins. So, you know, good old lucky bastards. Can you come to the turf floor as well? Get him on the bus. Yeah, yeah I've, read, I've read Chris's piece. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's encouraging from from what he said about uh, Sean Dyche and Kevin Felwell. And then you can see what kind of model they'd want to, you know, they'd want to want to have in Rotterdam and Everton to be at the, the head of it kind of thing. Just, just for me, it was, it was interesting to read, but personally, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more bothered about if the takeover is going to go through, and if it does get the, you know, the pass through the the regulators, including the Premier League, what's the plan for the club? Have they got the funding for the club? It did. We've heard from quite a few people now, and that yeah. it sounds, you know, good on the football side. It sounds like it, they, they're going to have a good working relationship with Dyke and Felbo, but there's still a lot of questions for me over it, over it all really, and you know. Because he's showing the weeks to come. We'll be, yeah, we'll be, we'll be for another day, yeah, is it? That's yeah. exactly. Yeah. We're all happy. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. We're always getting questions on updates on 777, but obviously this was a, a little interview yeah. that he did with the, the Telegraph, so I thought I'd bring it into the yeah, pod. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, predictions then. Let's finish off the pod with mm-hmm. predictions. I'm, I'm going to change mine. I'll go with you first. Wow. I'm going to Because we did we did predictions before we started recording for a sound check, and I'll tell you why. But okay. Paul, you go first. Predictions for Burnley. I think this is going to be a hard game. I think this is going to be a hard game. I think, yeah, they were they were pretty poor at Goodison in the in the, the League Cup tie. But as as we've said, it, it wasn't their first team, uh, and I think it's a big game for them, isn't it? I think it's five points the gap in the moment. So if we were to win or draw, still the gap's obviously going to get it's be huge or a draw to keep it the way it is. I think it, I think that I think you know five thirty turf more under the lights. I think it's going to be tricky. Uh, but as Chris said earlier, take those ten points. Put, put sorry, put those ten points back on us. We'd be fifteen points clear of Burnley. So even though we are missing a couple of big players for us, we should go there and be be confident. We are a better team, but 
I don't think it's going to be another 3 now. I don't even think it's going to be a 2 now. So I'm one of those. A 2 1 to Everton, I think it's going to be tight. 2 1, Paul. Chris? Yeah. You've got to remember, Sean Dyche will quietly be very determined to win this one after nine and a half years in charge of Burnley and all that he did there. And then obviously getting getting the sack on Good Friday last year, he'd be determined to put on a good show. So I'm also going to be positive and uh, I'm going to back Everton just about to get a fourth consecutive win. I'm going 1 0 Everton. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I said 2 0 before we started recording, but because we've just been discussing it and it's come to the, some, the fore of my mind that Brandweight, I'm more likely keen to get the other team. <laughs> I said 2 0, I'm going to go 2 1. So okay, take that, fair enough. Take that. I mean, when was that? I tell you what, when was the last time we won four yeah. in a row without conceding a single goal? Do you remember that one? No, no, no. Gavin, Gavin Buckland back on for yeah. that one. So there you go. So I think now that the team is perceived to be slightly weaker in defence, yeah. um, I think we might concede. So I'm going to go positive still, but a 2 1. Okay, lads, thanks, thank you for uh, coming on the show. It's been a really good chat. That's all from today's show. Uh, I've been Ian Kroll with Paul Wheelock and Chris Beasley, and this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 